Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Oh well, dear friends, um, uh, there wasn't much church in my growing up. Uh, In fact, one of my first introductions to the Christian story was, uh, if you're my age or above, you may remember it, uh, Zeffirelli's Jesus of Nazareth, which was serialized on the telly on Sunday evenings. Uh, the final episode was the crucifixion. Um, I was, I reckon, about 12 or maybe 13 at the time, uh, and as I sat and watched it, I wept. And yes, for a 12 or 13 year old, it was embarrassing to weep in front of your whole family. These were the days when families only had one television set and we watched it together. But I couldn't stop watching. I really didn't know quite what was going to happen next. And when it finished, I went up to my bedroom, I lay on my bed and I wept and I wept. And after a little while, my mum came up and she poked her head round the bedroom door. She meant it nicely and she said to me, Stephen, pull yourself together. (laughs) Well, here I am, nearly 50 years later. I can't quite believe it. Archbishop of York designate. And I have to tell you, I couldn't pull myself together then and I have been unable to pull myself together ever since. The story, that story that I encountered that day has changed my life. And the vision it offers of what humanity is supposed to look like is so compelling and so beautiful that I have given my life to it. And I've given the best gifts of wit and creativity that God has given me to tell the story to others because it is good news for a hurting world. And with my dear brother Justin, I hope to help the whole Church of England, but especially the churches of the North, be more joyful, less anxious and more effective in sharing that story. And Justin and I will be a team working together to serve the church and help the church serve the nation. However, in order to do that, uh, we know that the Church of England itself must change. Uh, We must be not just the Church of England, but we must be the Church for England. (coughs) And that change is going to be an interior change. We need to be more like Christ. Our nation also stands on the edge of great change as we leave the European Union. And there are many challenges ahead, not least for the unity of the United Kingdom itself. The Christian faith offers a vision of a diverse humanity finding unity and cohesion with each other and through Christ. Our world needs this vision, a vision of peace with God, a vision of peace with each other and a vision of peace with the earth itself. For learning how to live sustainably on the earth is the greatest challenge of all. And I want this vision and the values that flow from it to shape my life and to shape the life of our nation. 
we must indeed be one nation, but we must also be one world and one humanity. I will be a particular voice for the North, where discrepancies of wealth and opportunity are most evident, but most of all, I will be the bearer of the very beautiful story of what God has done and can do in Jesus Christ. I've experienced this in my own life. I am a boy from a very ordinary family, from a secondary modern school in Essex, now called to be the Archbishop of York. And I want to share this hope and this joy with others. One last thing. Although my background might be quite ordinary, I come from a very loving home and family. And it is, I believe, the very greatest gift that one human being can give to another. The gift of affirmation. The unequivocal knowledge that you are loved. It is on that foundation that I have built my life. And for a world where so many people have not received the security and affirmation of that love, I offer not an alternative, but the source and origin and wellspring of love itself, God, who, as Christmas approaches, is coming to us in his Son, Jesus Christ, to give us precisely the love and peace that the world can't. You'll have to excuse me, I am a, I am a preacher man, and I don't know how to end a talk without saying Amen. So, Amen. Congratulations. Um, I most recently saw you in a conversation with Russell Brand about Christianity. Um, and I wondered, um, as we look at a smaller church, you've also talked about sort of smaller numbers. Um, what, what do you come across in your conversations with people like Russell Brand, who are not part of the church? Where, how do you think our story is perceived beyond the church walls? Um, well, uh, R- Russell Brand is um, uh, another Essex boy like me. Um, I'm a southerner moving north. Uh, well, returning north. I, I've lived in the north for you know nine years, so I know and love it well. But yeah, Russell Brand and I did seem to hit it off uh, in the time we spent together. And what I found in him was something I find in so many people: a real longing for peace, for truth, uh, for the spiritual values which make life tick. And, and I simply don't find uh, England to be a nation of atheists. Um, I think there probably are a few more atheists than there were in the past. We're obviously not a nation of churchgoers either, but we are a nation of people who are hungry for meaning, hungry for value, um, looking for a, a way to navigate their way through life. And that's what I found in my conversation with Russell Brand, and my street cred went up extraordinarily after that interview. My, my kids, for the first time ever, seem to take an interest in what I might be saying, but, and their friends as well. So I think, I just think this fantastic opportunity to speak about the Christian faith in a joyful, non-anxious, compelling way. And when I speak about it, I do find that people you know, want to listen, want to, want to engage. So, um, 
I, I, forgive me, I know you're the press and it's your job to ask these things, but actually, in the church, we don't spend all day worrying about declining numbers and falling congregations. You know, I don't want to sound complacent, but that is not what we spend all day worrying about. I, I can take you to churches next Sunday which are absolutely buzzing and flourishing. Yeah, there's some which are not. Um, but the challenge is, how can we take what's really good in one place and help it be a reality in another place? Um, and where the church is flourishing and growing, it's actually because they're not worried about the church. They're worried about the gospel and they're worried about how do we live a distinctive Christian life in a way that's good news for the world. And when that happens, people are very interested, Russell Brand included. Um, can I ask, you've mentioned before you went to a secondary modern and a polytechnic. Church yeah. Times did some research and about half of bishops were educated privately, about 40% went to Oxbridge. Yeah. Do you think it matters to have a more diverse episcopate um, in terms of kind of educational background as well as other yes. measures? Yes, I mean my experience is that diversity always is an advantage on every measure. So there should be a diversity of men and women, a diversity of ethnic ethnic background, a diversity of social and educational background. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of my background, but I am aware when I'm with my dear sister and brother bishops that my experience of education is very different from theirs. Um, uh, and sometimes, if I'm really honest with you, Matt, sometimes you know I feel a little bit exposed. Um, because I think oh, I, I, I didn't have the educational opportunities they had and therefore don't have a sort of hinterland of stuff that, that they have. But generally I find it an advantage um, uh, because uh, inevitably one's education is, is such a formative experience, it shapes the way you see the world. So I, I found I, my way of looking at the world, it's not that I'm right and they're wrong, but I'm able to add a perspective that how could they possibly have? Um, my, my maiden speech in the House of Lords was on education, um, in which I came out as somebody who went to a secondary modern school. Uh, and I did discover there's about half a dozen other members of the House of Lords uh, who were as well. And I was amazed how every one of them made contact with me within about 24 hours. Um, because there is a bit of a sense sometimes that, you know, the danger is you, you can feel as if, I don't know, you can get a bit of a chip on your shoulder, which is silly. I don't have that. You're more from a Catholic background. You yeah. trained us at Stephen's house. And yeah. You're also very prominent evangelist in the Church of England. What, um, what's your feeling about kind of a specifically Catholic form of evangelism? Because I know there is sometimes a feeling that the push for renewal and reform and evangelism has come from a very evangelical place. So do you have any thoughts about a distinctively Catholic voice? Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, Evangelism means to share the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ, and this is something that unites Christians, and I think sometimes rather too much is made of um, people's different traditions with regard to that. So I think what I would say is, in the same way that our education and upbringing shapes our worldview, my understanding of the Christian faith is shaped very much by the Catholic tradition of the Church of England. And therefore, it, it simply brings another perspective to the table. So uh, those of us who've been shaped by that tradition are perhaps 
more concerned, which doesn't mean other people are not concerned, but perhaps more concerned about, well, the beauty of the gospel is how I would put it. Um, can I put it this way? Yes. I mean, I want people to fall in love with the Christian faith. Um, for me, being a Christian is not giving intellectual assent to a number of abstract propositions. Um, I, I feel that on the journey of my life I met Christ and it was beautiful. His vision of what humanity is supposed to be like is a beautiful vision. And the beauty of that vision in music and art and literature, which are the things that have shaped, I mean, shaped Anglicanism, but particularly shaped the Catholic tradition, I think are the ways that we will connect with a lot of our culture. We live in a very visual, sensual culture. Um, why, do, why are cathedrals growing? Well, it might be. Cynical view is it's pain-free religion. You can just go, everything's done for you. You can go and sit behind a pillar. Nobody's going to ask, nobody's going to put you on a rotor. I don't believe that. I think it's beauty, the beauty of holiness. So that's what I hope to be able to bring. Not that it's not there, but it's another perspective that is part of the the beautiful multifaceted thing which is the Church of England Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website churchtimes.co.uk If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times you can try your first 10 issues for just £10 You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday plus full access to our website and digital archive Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode.